Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. This is from the beginning of Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith. Lord, as we continue our journey, our lives' journeys and our um, pilgrimage to you, we ask your blessings upon us um, that we might endure and persevere, that we might drop with the sin that clings to us, that we might um, keep our eyes fixed clearly upon the goal of uh, everlasting life with you. And let us bless this next hour as we share our own faith and uh, hope to be able to be instruments of faith in others. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Father Nagel. All right, so today on the program we have not just Father Nagel. Father Lewis can't be with us. Say a prayer for Father Lewis. He uh, was on retreat over the last few days, and uh, last week, and he um, his throat, he kind of lost his voice, Ooh. and so needed to give him a, a, a week off. At least that's what he's claiming. Father Nagel. I, I believe him. I lose my voice sometimes, too, and it's horrible. Uh, to be a priest without a voice, uh, you know, the word and the voice, all that, that sort of thing, but you're kind of almost worthless as a priest without a voice. You know, what are you going to do? Oh, you come can't, on. You can't celebrate Mass. You can't, you can't hear. You can't give absolution. You can't preach. You can't teach. People are always asking this stuff, and you can't say anything. It's really, it's, it's a burden. <laughs> you know what? That's a great point. It's like, I hate uh, it. It's it's hard. It's uh, one of the things that I, I say about the priesthood is that you don't get a day off. You're always on. You're even even days off, you're still on, yep, yep. right? Because the are. idea of priesthood isn't just a matter of mission. It's also identity, right? Mm-hmm. It goes to the to the very That's core true. of who you are, right? There's that the the great phrase, the ontological change that is connected with the sacrament of holy orders. And Ron, Ron is nodding his head because he knows exactly what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but for those who don't, for those who don't, and we're going to get to you, Ron, don't worry. We're going to put you in the center of the bullseye, but just with this as a lead-in, I, um, what is the ontological change? What does that mean, Father Nagel? Well, again, the being. Uh, I think sometimes other Christians would say ordination is, it's a change perhaps from degree, but not in kind, and in the sense that Ordination, as well as other uh, some other sacraments as well, but ordination, ontological change means um, it's just not something I put on. It's not something, as you say, it's not something that I do. You're changed forever at the deepest metaphysical reality of who you are, um, and you always will priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Right, so it's that change of being. That's right. The word ontos in Greek means it means being, and so. It's something that, to think about. I remember in the seminary in the 1980s, there was a uh, one of the other seminarians. Uh, he was a brother uh, and for a religious community, but he had attend classes with us. And he said his vision of the future of the priesthood is that it would be like a job, kind of like president, where you'd come in and you'd fulfill that role for like seven years, and then you could you know step away from that role, and someone else would step into that role of priesthood. Right. And it's very like a very much a functional kind of understanding um, relating the church as an institution to other secular worldly institutions. And I, I just I looked at him and I just was like, "Who are you? <laughs> this is so fundamentally right. uh, different than the idea about um, the priesthood. Fundamentally changes the the core, the essence of of who." That created man is uh, in that he uh, now becomes conformed to Christ the head in a priestly manner. So that's a very powerful thing, brothers and sisters, to think about that, that um, that the the men who are called forward by the Lord and who put themselves forward uh, and are discerned to have this vocation are entering into something that will mark themselves for all eternity. Father, have you ever thought about what that? Actually, I'm going to ask you this later because we're going to get to Ron. Ron's yeah. like, "Hey, Ron's... I, I'm sitting here. The talent is here in the room, and yeah. he's not getting any he's attention." He's drumming his right fingers now. right now. <laughs> he's like, "When do I get to front and center stage?" I'm going to ask you, 
Brother Nagel, if you've ever thought about what, what it means to be a priest in heaven, um, if there's going to be anything specific around That's that. But I've got question. a whole bunch of right. priest questions for you because of um, uh, of what happened to me last week, which I'll, I'll tell you about. All right. um, but it's related to the priesthood, so pretty cool. All right. Ron, why are you here? Why are we talking to you today? <laughs> you made me come on. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason why it was fitting. It was proper. It was appropriate. It's even beautiful and glorious that you'd come on now. Why would that be the case? Oh, well, we, uh, m- myself, Father Chad Green, and uh, Mike and Tim, two of uh, his good friends that he's known for a long time, we just came back from Portugal and Spain, and we hiked part of the uh, Camino so we did about uh, 250 or 260 kilometers, which is about 160 miles of walking around. Uh, it was more praying and reflecting on going through Portugal up through into Spain to the uh, final resting place of St. James. Now, um, the, uh, so first of all, you just said kind of walking around 160-something miles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I typically walk 160 miles a year, you know. <laughs> So um, what was it that motivated you to join up with Father Green and a couple of others and um, to walk the Camino? And, and there are folks who are listening who are like, I've heard that before. And you, and you did identify Santiago de Compostela, St. James. Um, do you, did you learn a bit about the, this tradition of making this pilgrimage um, before? What was it that motivated you to say, I want to go do this? Uh, I think one of the first things, Father Nagel gave a book. We gave a book club um, book away called uh, Hiking the Camino with uh, Father Dave Pavanka, um, who is now the, the president of Franciscan University. Um, but he w- read that book, and it was a great read, uh, a beautiful book, and then uh, also got interested, read a few other books, saw the movie The Way with Martin Sheen, um, and, and it was just kind of inspiring. And I realized, you know, right now I, I just needed some, uh, time that I wanted some pilgrimage time. Uh, it's very interesting because when you talk, you go over there. Some people, uh, do not consider it as, as a religious experience. And many of them are there for a walk, um, or it looks good on a resume or, you know, and, 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 uh, um, people of all ages, people of all sizes and styles and all different makes are, are wa- taking this journey that uh, there's some, uh, for me and us, it was a very pilgrimage time, a very religious time, and, and it was a, a great experience. And I encourage everybody to to do some sort of a pilgrimage. Okay, so here's a question. If I say the words seashell, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> well, it is. It is the uh, for us the seashell is painted all over the signs, uh, showing the direction on which way to go. So you look for the seashell, and that's the direction you want to keep following. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> mm-hmm. I just find that so fascinating. That, uh, and do you know why? Uh, in fact, that I do not know why. Just make something up. You mean you have been following? <laughs> you were following signs with seashells on them for 160 miles, and you didn't even ask the question. Why is, why is that there? Why not? And a, why would we do that? <laughs> why not a unicorn or something like yeah, that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no. What is it about the seashell? <laughs> I, I I really I'm not sure. It's the it. Well, it's just a, it's the symbol associated with Saint James. So, ta-da! There we go. Okay, Remember, he was yourself. a fisherman, right? And all of that. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. Sure, I, I'll go with that. Yeah. Did you wear a Did you wear a seashell? I, I I did not put one on my bag, but it was in my pack. Sure. Yeah. And oh, did you did? see them on other people though? Did some of them have uh, a lot of them? Did yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was one of the early signs of that you were a pilgrim was that you would wear some kind of patch or some or emblem <laughs> that was indicating. That you are on, you're walking this journey towards St. James. Yeah, and it's it's beautiful to know that uh, you're walking on these roads where millions of people ha- have gone ahead of you and before you and made this same trip. Uh, in the, back in the days, uh, in the 11, 12, 1300s, it was dangerous. There was hospitals were created because p- people were dying along the way. Um, you had hospitals set up for to take care of the injured who were either malnourished or needed foot help or injuries that needed to be resolved or taken and there were uh, a, a lot of uh, things and and so the the through these routes these different routes or routes uh, that come across whether it be from France and head 
west, uh, uh, that's an 800-kilometer journey, 500 miles. Or we did one from Portugal heading up north, um, starting in Lisbon to Porto or and on up. Um, no matter where these are, the cities have built up around the, the route that would accompany that. And so more hostels or albergues and hotels would kind of sprout up. And of course, the the cities got larger and the churches got bigger and in and, and some beautiful, beautiful cities. Yeah. So I uh, so you went as a pilgrim, not just on vacation. You went because of a religious purpose, not just because of, oh, I had a couple of weeks off. This would be some interesting place to go, and if it's on the bucket list. Um, what form, what was the experience like for you in terms of saying this made it a pilgrimage, besides the fact that you were walking 20 miles a day, right? What was it specifically in even doing that long walk? That gave it a um, gave it the experience of saying, "I'm on a pilgrimage." And and what does that act, what did it actually mean? I think we had a lot of time where we were together as a, a, the four of us, and um, I've never really taken up the breviary or the divine office. And this was uh, an experience where we were praying the uh, office of the readings praying the morning prayer, the midday prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, uh, all of us together. And and that was beautiful. We got to uh, have Mass in some of the most beautiful churches and cathedrals in, in the world. Um, and and it was really just a, an amazing thing to be able to say, you know, I'm uh, knowing that you're getting closer and closer to your goal or your journey. Uh, at the end, it was uh, really... Um, I don't know, just an amazing experience. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, Tom, but uh, overall the the growth that I saw in our prayer life uh, was phenomenal. And that made it uh, for us and me personally a a great pilgrimage. Nice. Hey, Father Nagel, uh, we're going to do this in a way that is uh, we can take some turns here. So uh, if you have a question to say right now, uh, I'll let you dive in and say it. Otherwise, I'll ask one more question and then you can go and then we'll go back and forth. How does that sound? Well, my question, I was going to ask, okay, you have the uh, liturgical prayer, the breathing there. What about, were you, you said the four of you, but what about alone time in terms of the, on the path, um, on the pilgrimage path, in terms of, was there, was that prayerful? Did you find yourself solitude and silence? Was, or was it mostly, was it crowded and most of the time you were, it was a community thing? Ah, oh, that's a great question. If you, hey, wait a minute. You didn't say that about my questions. <laughs> you never said that. Okay. Great question, Father Nagel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, the alone time, yeah, I, I thought it was great because uh, every once in a while we were traveling as a pack, but then someone would stop and tie their shoe or fix their pack, and then we'd kind of separate, and eventually you're, you're on your own, and we'd meet up, you know, way down the road, miles down the road. Uh, I found that I was often listening to Taze music and just meditating and and hearing and uh singing praises and worship uh through that kind of music that really put me in the spirit as you're walking through a forest or as you're walking on the granite cobblestone roads or uh for me that's where i found the alone time was really good kind of reflected on a few things was walking one time my dad passed away about a a little over a year ago and uh ran into a, a older uh, Spanish man and looked just like my dad. And it was like, oh, wow, what a gift. This is so beautiful. And uh, got to pray along the rosary as I'm walking. And and uh, those two things together really made it helpful. And, and uh, I want to say uh, this was very impactful. Nice. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's something that I was wondering about myself was, as you were walking along, you can imagine that when you're walking for so many days over so many miles that you can't just keep talking, that there's probably a lot of time where you're just walking by yourself. And so whether it's listening to music or just being present as you're walking, I was wondering if there was a sense of um, uh, the inner noise finally quieting down, right? It's like one of those things that when people talk about 
the challenge they have to sit quietly, it's that once they're able to um, like remove the the noises from around them, well, it's all of the busyness, all of the the things that we're thinking about or concerned about all just come bubbling up. Eventually, in silence, it settles down, but it takes a real effort and a consistency of of uh, practice before inner an inner sense of stillness emerges. So I was wondering if that was something that you you kind of I, you kind of alluded to it, but I, I want to just kind of dial in a little bit more on that uh, the idea of a, an inner sense of quiet emerging, even though you weren't still, even though you were walking. Yeah, I, I think you, you it, it kind of uh, would come eventually. It doesn't happen right away. Kind of like if you're in an adoration chapel, it's not like you walk in the door, sit down, and all is silent and all is good and you're ready and noise free. It, it takes maybe, you know, five minutes, might be 10 minutes, might be, uh, it, it comes eventually, but not immediately. And I found that uh, after a little while, it, it got to going, or kind of not got to going, um, but it, it would come eventually, yes. I, nice. I was wondering, and I have not been on the Camino, I've not done the Camino. What, what about the penances on the pilgrimage? I, mean, I was thinking, you mentioned sore feet. Um, but other things, what, what were the, the sacrifices that this pilgrimage entailed for you personally in terms of, boy, you know what, this is big or small cross, but this is just kind of, this is the hard part. Hmm. I think the hard part was leaving uh, home, mm-hmm. uh, being away for so long. Um, I didn't necessarily have that many, um, penitential type things that I, that I felt coming through or, or so it wasn't a hard physically. It wasn't a, a huge, uh, you were in good enough shape that this wasn't a huge bet. Yeah. I got the blisters system worked out. <laughs> what about like, wrap, wrap your toes before you go in the morning and you know, you pack, pack the night before. And so you grab your bag and out the door you go in the morning. Yeah. What about the living arrangements? Again, not physically <laughs> painful, but was it ever like, boy, this isn't a great living situation. I and mean, I don't even know where you'll slap or anything. No, was no. That, was that tough? Usually like little one-star hotels, a couple a hostel, and it was in bunk beds. And by the time you get in, you're just ready to crash. And and yeah, your head hits the pillow and you're out most of the time. Uh, and, and the nice part about this was after we did the whole trip and finished up, we had uh, a day in town t- in, uh, uh, to decompress. Mm-hmm. And because after a while, you just kind of feel like, oh, I think it's about time to start walking again, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so that, that, that felt really great. Um, the living arrangements, it was wonderful to be able to uh, just uh, be with these uh, companions that, that I was with. Yeah. And, and kind of like, uh, I, I want to say, kind of what you're talking about, the solitude, going back to that a little bit, and noise-free. Now, you've been on pilgrimage yourself, Father Nagel. You went to the Holy Land, if I'm not mistaken. But it, it was probably definitely a little bit noisier. Yeah, like big buses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and interestingly, we found that there are parts where you're walking through some in, in, inner city towns and big cities, and then you're off in the country. You know, so a little mixture of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're up against a break here. I'm with uh, Ron Belter and Father Kurt Nagel today on this Monday edition of Sound Insight. And we're talking um, with Ron at the, during this part of the program about his experience of walking the Camino, walking that pilgrimage journey to Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain in Galicia. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. DrTomCurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Ron, I've got a question for you. When I think about uh, what you talked about in terms of the pilgrimage, is it's a journey that has a goal, 
and how that reflect makes you reflect on life. I, I think that part of the theology and spirituality of pilgrimage is connected to what Aquinas identifies as the fundamental structure of the human being, as homo viator. Man is one who is on the way. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I know you're going to flex with Aquinas any minute yeah. now, so I thought I would preempt that. Yeah, yeah, that uh, and von, von Balthasar, yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. Don't <laughs> worry. But the idea is what? Is that there's a point of departure, there's a point of arrival, and then there's progress moving from one to the other. And I think that there's a, a tremendous gift that is offered to us on pilgrimage for, for the contemporary human being. Mm. Because I think that we, the three of us, we're kind of contemporaries, that we have lived in a time where the posters have the statement on it, life is a journey, not a destination. And so the emphasis on process, on the experience of just moving, some, you know, of, of going forward on a journey, but not focused on the goal, I think has had some some really profound reper- repercussions on the consciousness of contemporary believers, mm-hmm. that we don't think as much about, why am I on this arduous road? Why am I undergoing this set of like experiences that are not pleasant? They're really not that fun. They, they, they can be kind of laborious. It's a difficult good that I'm trying to achieve here. Well, the reason is, is that I'm headed towards that goal. And headed toward, heading towards that goal provides meaning to today, this hour, mm-hmm. and the next hour, and the next hour, and the next mile, and the next mile, and the next day, and the next day, is that I'm going someplace. And that gives me the grace to get through the experiences that are not fun, comfortable, or easy. So I know that you were probably saying most of that <laughs> in what you were saying, but I wanna I wanna bring that up as the sort of the, the 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 way of structuring the meaning of being on a pilgrimage. I know there was a really long wind up to a question, but let me go first to Father Nagel. Father Nagel, what do you think about that big long Aquinas kind of insight related to today? And then Ron will get your comments on it. You know, again, using big words, uh, teleology. The I think that yes, you gave me a great insight there, Tom. In the sense of, I do think that if there's no God, what what really is a, there's no meaning ultimately. There's not a purpose, as you say, not a goal. And then you're thrown back on either creating your own or you end up going live for the moment, right? Because there is life is a journey sort of thing. Is just simply um, saying, well, yeah, there's no, I'm not going anywhere, so I might as well enjoy this moment as much as I can, because, and I have to put my meaning into that particular moment. I even think in terms of things like holding down jobs or think or or working well. You know, I think that if, if we're if we're used to doing, you know, we're doing the boring routine, day to day stuff. Well, we're doing it because, you know, again, we have maybe professional goals or or whatever. But if there's no, if we get used to there not being a bigger meaning and we're going to live for the moment and stuff, then why do this crummy job? Um, and so I, I, there's all sorts of ways, I think, socially, this impact of secularization, lack of, of a God, and therefore a lack of a meaning for the person's life, a goal and endpoint. Um, I think that's sort of seeping in and uh, infecting all sorts of things in our culture. And so, again, the practice of pilgrimage probably is something that, Boy, that would really be great for all, for our society. Period. Of course, pilgrimage requires you to actually believe in God. <laughs> yes, you know, I, I like what you said, Tom. Is it a journey or just reaching a destination? And I, I think I took it as um, when when we finally arrived at uh, the destination of uh, uh, in. Um, uh, Santiago. The interesting part was in the square, people were crying and cheering and screaming and yelling and high-fiving. And and for us, it was like, hey, that was nice. We we finally got here. That's kind of cool. And I, I think, you know, we, we reached our destination, yay. But I, I think for all of us, our group, we more or less see it as a, a journey that will continue on. This was just kind of a leg that we got to participate in. The Camino will kind of carry our own uh 
we're all on our own Camino in a different way, however that is. But the the journey continues on, and we're pilgrims here on this earth until we die. And and so I, I think um, it, it you could almost see which ones which of the people actually were taking that into their heart or versus I finally got here and I can't believe I made it. Yay. You know, and it was, it was completely a, a, a little bit of a different mindset. So there, that's my answer. Nice. I, I love it. I, and I love that fact that there was uh, that sense of um, both that sense of excitement and also that sense of, um, I don't know if the words relief, but it's like, when I think about my life, I do think about that end. Like you begin with the end in mind. I want the Lord to say to me when I face him in judgment, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if people think about that. Uh, you know, is that, do you, do you think about that? Not, not the moment of death that I'm going to, you know, am I ready to face the Lord? But what is it that I want to hear from the Lord? How do I want to be welcomed into, um, hopefully my heavenly home, my heavenly home? Um, I don't know. Father Nagel, do you think about that? Yes, I, I think I do. Uh, maybe not exactly the same terms, but, but pretty much. I do think there's this idea of, I think I would look at more like, okay, at the end of my life, God reveals to me, okay, here's, here's what your life has been. Here's what it's been. Here's what, it, here's what I wished for you. And here's, here's all I offered you. And here's, and I, I can look and then say, yeah, um, I I didn't blow my life. In fact, I it, I accomplished you know pretty much what God wanted me to do, and so again that idea of it is a sense of okay Jesus is this is is this a happy ending or not you know am I did I did I did I follow the journey well or not and to have some sort of I think this particular judgment will be that uh, an answer to that question. And I hope it again, it's well, the quoting, you go, well done, good and faithful servant. But that certainly that emotional reality of saying, well done. Um, that's that, yeah, that's that's what I wanted you to do, Kurt. Nice. How about you? How about you, Ron? Any um, sort of like you kind of addressed it, but again, just did do you feel like this developed? Like you come back with that change in your life now? Like, like what would be the change that? I'm so glad I went on this because now I'm going to what's the X, Y, Z. Oh, wow. That's a great question there. You're, <laughs> I said it. I, I said, I sat, I sat on my hands. Yeah, I was going to say, Hey, Father Nagel, did you hear that? I didn't hear what he said. What I did he it. say? I heard it. His eyes got big. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He was shaking his head thinking, uh, just say it, just get it over with. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I came back and, and, uh, with, with a much greater sense of, uh, personal prayer and just talking one-on-one -on -one with God. Um, knowing that, you know, he created this beauty. I am just here to walk through it. He made all this possible and happen and, and hopefully I'm here to enjoy it. And at the same time, put a smile on God's face. Uh, I, I think, and, and through this, I also same as, uh, Father Kurt was saying is that, um, you know, we're, we're hopefully all called to hear those wonderful words. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. I, that's certainly, I think, something that uh, we all want to hear, my brothers and sisters. I, I spoke at the men's conference uh, a week ago, the Iron Sharpens Iron, and one of the things I said to the guys was that being at the stage I'm at in my life, the thing that I regret the most about my past is wasted time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wasted time. That time that was not fruitfully used to live for the Lord, grow in relationship with the Lord, grow in holiness, or fulfilling my God-given mission, but wasting time. And it feels like having that consciousness of life is a pilgrimage towards a heavenly goal, that would, I think, help like reduce the sense of just hanging around and wasting time because I'm already home. I'm already safe. I'm already comfortable. I'm doing great. I can just kick back and relax and instead have that sense of vigilance or solicitude, that sense of urgency. There's something at stake. Don't waste time. Yeah, I think we're all called to be stewards of time. God has given us uh, a great different amount of time for each one of us. We never know how long that's going to be, but but using that time well for 
the, his good is always a, a great thing. But I think, Tom, I think that's a good point, especially especially for people who are kind of spiritually serious disciples in the sense that, okay, I think a lot of people with a conversion experience or, or at least faith experience, they might say, oh, I really regret my deep and horrible sins. You know, at some level that, that but one, at some point in your life, you say, okay, I've worked through that and, and maybe I've changed so that my sins aren't, you know, again, they're not that horrible and deep. And so there's a temptation to think, and so now I'm going pretty well and I can relax because I'm no longer doing those sins. As opposed to at that point, then the bigger danger is, yeah, but okay, you're not doing lots of negatives, but God doesn't want just not, you know, it's the omission thing. I, I It's what I'm not doing. It's the wasted time. And and not to settle for, uh, I'm no longer the big sinner I used to be, but to say, am I the saint that I'm called to be? So I, I do think that idleness um, sin is probably underestimated by, especially those who can sort of look at themselves and have the, the temptation to take pride in what they, what they've become. So that's interesting. Uh, let's kind of tease this thread out a little bit. So I interviewed Father John Ricardo, who's going to, uh, he actually was at your parish yesterday. And uh, in anticipation for that event, I um, I asked him a question. I asked him 12 questions that were, um, you know, true Catholic both and questions. And it was, I said, what is a, a greater scourge in the lives of uh, uh, Catholic men today, apathy or pornography? And uh, interesting, uh, I don't know how you'd answer that, Father Nagel. Do you know how you want to guess how he answered it? I would say apathy. And would you say it for yourself, or would you say that that's how he'd answer it? I think in terms of, it kind of goes back to the answer to my question I just made there. I think it depends upon the stage of spiritual life. But I do think in any of those stages, the apathy is so huge. This is an apathetic age, I think, because of the reasons we just said. So I do think that would be... because. Again, pornography can be dealt with by getting rid of apathy. Amen. I, I, that which is so striking, huh? And that's uh, that was along the lines of what um, uh, Father uh, Ricardo said. He says, "As terrible a scourge as pornography is, the bigger scourge is our lack of passionate love for the Lord or for His people." And so we are not, you know, we don't have that rigorous sense of I want to strip away anything that's holding back my life in living for God. But the way you put it, Father Nagel, where you talked about sins of commission are typically sources of the shame versus sins of omission, I never heard it like that. I like that. I think that's really good because, as you know, in Matthew 25, Jesus condemns mm-hmm. the sheep, not uh, the, the goats, not for any oh, uh, not for any commissions, but right. for omissions. Yeah, that's true. That's going to be the scary part of our talk with Jesus at the end of life. Not, you know, the film of, you know, of, of all the things we did and there's, there's bad moments in, in store for all of us and sort of for me. But then say, okay, now here's what I, I'd hope you had done. And, and this never happened. Um, because you just, you just decide not to do it. I mean, that, that's going to be, I think, uh, something I haven't thought about a lot, but I think it's going to be a huge piece of, um, uh, again, just the the purgatorial experience at the end of my life. Yeah, it's um, uh, Ron. Ron, you're, you're kind of sitting here. What do you think, <laughs> <laughs> Ron? Are you glad that you're on today? Is this like ah? I'm soaking it all in, taking it all in. No, I I, I think that you know when when we do, it, it's uh, this is almost kind of going back to our own situation. Everyone is on their own pilgrimage, their own journey, their own Camino. And we all have it all different ways and plays and angles and streets and directions that we all take. And and knowing that ours is unique to ourselves and everyone has that uniqueness about it, um, the, the fact that, that we're all going to end up at the same place looking at, like you said, that film at the end of our life and and wanting to say, God, did I, did I, was there a time where I could have been more for you. Uh, how, how could it, uh, not to question it, but I hope that there won't be these big gaps. And I hope there's going to be those, those, uh, 
uh, tighten up pieces. I'm laughing. What, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, you talked about it as like a movie, and it's like Jesus is going to be sitting next to you watching the movie of your life here in judgment. Uh, I'm going to bring up from Balthazar because you said that. Okay, just because you said that. <laughs> okay, he didn't okay, have so. movies, did he? Yeah. No, no. Well, he of course he did. He died in like '88. So um, the no, the point was that. Uh, he says, what is judgment? Judgment is where you face Christ crucified. It's Christ crucified that is your judge and crucified and risen, but it's you're facing Christ crucified because he reveals to you who you, not only who you are, but who God intended you to become through the life he gave you. And your judgment is the discrepancy that exists between who you actually became, what you actually did with your life, and what God intended you to do with your life. Yeah, that'll be a difficult thing to watch. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the gap, right? That's yep, the gap. That and is the gap. Thanks be to God for mercy. Thanks be to God for mercy. But <laughs> let, um, let's go to one more break, and then I, I want to come back, and I'm going to ask one more question about this, and then and Ron, we will mercifully let you slide off into the back and enjoy the rest of the program. Back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel and Ron Belter. Ron is here pouring forth wisdom about his Santiago de Compostela uh, journey on the Camino to that great finishing point of the of this cathedral honoring St. James the Greater. Uh, no, now I've got two questions. I've got two questions, sorry. The first one is an easy one. All right, this is kind of a softball. Ooh, I like the softballs. Okay, why is he called St. James the Greater? Was St. James the Lesser already taken? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're actually right. There is a St. James the Lesser, but who are those two St. James? A uh, fisherman. That, okay, no, well, one, the, the son of uh, Zebedee. <laughs> All right. So St. James the Greater is the son of Zebedee. Who else is the son of Zebedee among the 12 Andrew. apostles? John. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you're killing me here. Andrew is <laughs> the brother of who? Peter. Peter, very good. So Peter and Andrew are brothers in the apostle uh, among the twelve apostles, and so are James and John. Uh, they are the um, so they are Boanerges, right? The, <laughs> the sons, sons of, of thunder. thunder. Yeah. Yes, good. That's good. But w- James the Greater is called James the Greater because there's another James that's an apostle. That's James the Lesser. Now, why would one be called greater and one be called lesser? One had thunder and one did not. <laughs> It's actually, it's not that he was better. It's just that he was bigger. And so greater taller? means taller. Yeah, like taller or bigger. Uh, lesser means smaller or shorter. So Big James. Big James. He's a big oh, boy. The chosen. A, all that go. fishing yeah. made him work out. So he was a big boy. And, um, and so he is, so was he, was he the um, second martyr in mm. the early church or was he the second apostle to die? You don't want to ask don't you know. either or. You know what you're supposed to say? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So if he was the second martyr in the early church, who was the first one? Uh, that would be Stephen. Stephen. Very good. Yeah, Man, you were kicking Acts, butt. This is Acts awesome. Acts of the Apostles. Sure. This is so yeah. good. I love it. Okay, All right. I don't. I'm on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're feeling, I'm hey, this is like here. an anticipation of your judgment. Come on. <laughs> All right. right. All right. On the air, you're on. <laughs> he has no this folks, he did not know this was gonna happen. Oh, so often that's the way it is. Our judgment does. You know, you never know when it's gonna happen. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. And then the uh first one, uh he was the second apostle to die. Who was the first apostle to die? This is a this is kind of a, a curveball. It's not a fastball. Well, I would have to say uh I am gonna go with a lifeline here, uh Judas. Yes, very good. Judas. Yeah, so Judas was the first apostle to die. You wouldn't think of it because that, that the curveball was that people would think, well, who's the martyr? Who's the martyr? James was the first yeah. apostle to die, right? Well, he wasn't a martyr, unfortunately. So, okay. <laughs> but that, those were not the questions I was going to ask you. Ooh, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this happens to me all the time, Ron. Don't worry about <laughs> I'm it. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Tom, you're killing welcome, me. <laughs> welcome to his world. This okay? is my life. <laughs> yes. Okay. And he comes back for more. Yeah, I think he keeps coming back for more. It's so. that martyrdom thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So here, here's my final question. And I'll tell you what. I'll let Father Nagel answer it first, <laughs> and, and then you can just confirm his answer if you'd like. Okay. Did you say those last ones were going to be softballs? <laughs> oh, my I thought goodness. those were softballs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So here's, the, here, here's a, a more reflective question. 
It says in the Catechism, and this is a little bit of a paraphrase, I don't have the quote in front of me, that you will not pray always, which is our uh, command in the Apostles, right, uh, in, in St. Paul. We will not pray always unless we pray sometimes. So take specific moments of prayer during your day, and you'll create a spirit of prayer that is the fulfillment of the command to pray always. Okay, mm-hmm. here's my reflective question. You will not live your life on pilgrimage as a journey with a God-given destination unless you make a pilgrimage sometimes. You will not live your life as a pilgrimage always unless you make a pilgrimage in your life at some time. Father Nagel. Well, I can see two levels of that. Um, On the one hand, if you want to take this literally, um, it's a great call for becoming a pilgrim and doing making pilgrimages. And that doesn't necessarily mean the Camino, but it, it does mean I'm going to use my incarnated my body in such a way that I am going to move through space and time to accomplish, um, again, God-given missions and, 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 and prayerful experiences, et cetera. And I actually just, I, I think the Camino, it has, it's taken on a new richness and a new life in the last few decades. And I think one of the goals, and I mean, one of the fruits of that is that I think people are more open to the idea of pilgrims. I think this is spread out and sort of, um, it's had chain reaction or whatever you want the, the, the right term for that is. But I think pilgrimage is much more, much more in our conscience than it had been in the last 50 years or so. So I think there's something very important about that. But then the, the other point is, I think, you know, the, the idea of having definite projects, spiritual projects, that you know whether you've done or not. Uh, so again, the whole idea of the teleology, that w- there's a goal, there's a target to reach, there's an endpoint that we're, we're going for. And I don't think that you're going to become the saint unless you take off smaller pieces and different smaller projects in such a way that you're going to have to apply yourself um, and, and suffer sacrifice and experience dryness in the desert uh, in order to achieve something that's God-pleasing uh, in your life. Whether that's, again, whether that's a virtue to um, open yourself to or whether it's a prayer experience you're going to have or a habit you're going to form or a reconciliation you make or whatever it is. So I do think that that whole idea of spiritual project pilgrimages is something I would also say as a necessary building block of the spiritual life. And it requires discipline and prudence and zeal and all those kind of virtues that are part of the package. I know you you basically took everything that Ron was going to say, right, Ron? I have nothing left to say. <laughs> he, he stole all my all my. He answers. was feeding it to me. No, he's writing down <laughs> notes and passing them to me. Mouthing the answer. That's good. I love it. All right, I'm going to let. But uh, Ron. I, I, I I do think there there's some uh, always and sometimes, and and you know it, you can't always be there, but it, sometimes make it go, make it happen. And and I think you can even take that into different areas of your life. To You can't always maybe go to Mass, but sometimes make that go and make it forward and make it happen. And, and, and you get that bigger picture. Sometimes you can't always go to adoration, but make that first step, that first start. And then you'll perhaps start going more often and more frequently and, and, and make it a part of your life. Uh, another thing, and, and I know I'm just going to wrap it up here. The final thing that I'd like to say is, um, if you know of anyone who is ever going to do a trip on this, one of the greatest things I found that we had a spiritual bouquet that was running every day. Uh, someone here at the office, Michelle at the office had tapped out to all of the contacts that we knew and reached out and said, Hey, these guys are going on pilgrimage. Will you spend an hour in prayer or say some prayers for these people or say a rosary for them and let them know that you're praying for them as they're on their journey. And knowing that we had people behind us praying, uh, every single day, we had uh, two or three people along praying with us, knowing what we were up to, what we were doing and having that communion. Uh, of, uh, I want to say not partnership, but just prayer warriors standing behind us, uh, lifting us up was really beautiful. So I I thought uh, that was a great experience also. But thank you, Tom, for having me on as a surprise guest today. It was a, a joy and wonderful, and I just love it. Was it was a journey, but did it have a destination? <laughs> the destination is now he gets to put down the headphones, so he gets to leave. 
All right, very good. That's a great time to take a break. We'll be back, and Father Nagel and I will uh, be continuing to walk with you today on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Nagel now. Just Father Kurt Nagel. Father Nagel, just the two of us. It's not as exciting, is it? No, that was more fun. I, I like kind of you know turning up the heat on uh, on Ron Belter there a little bit. That was that he can was he cool. can handle the heat though. He can handle the heat. <laughs> All right. So we were talking about uh, the priesthood before um, before we uh, before we uh, uh, went off into the to the Ron and the pilgrimage direction. Um, and the question I had posed but didn't give you a chance to answer was: um, Have you thought about the idea of well, what might it mean that I'm a priest? In heaven, like now you reach the end of your journey. Now you're in heaven. Like, what will a priestly existence in heaven be like as compared to a a, a believer, uh, you know, who is sharing in the the divine nature of the Son, but not in the priestly uh, meaning without that ontological change? Have you thought of anything about that? Well, to quote Ron Belter, that's a great question, um, <laughs> and I think it is. I, I don't have I I don't know if I've really. I was I was teasing that in the corner of my brain this hour. Why I, you know we were doing something else? I, I did reflect on it just a little bit. Um, it kind of reminds one of the things that's Dante esque um, in the I think it's kind of Dante esque question in the certain sense of well, how would Dante portray that? You know, in terms of what is the experience of heaven and what would be the priestly role there? And if you look at the Re- Book of Revelation, there is. You know, again, there's these groups and there's these um, different uh, choirs and there's these different roles to play there. So I would say I think that there's something there. I, I do. I think that um, in terms especially of Jesus, the high priest, in some ways, um, and I think that goes on, that offering of praise uh, continually, internally. And what would be the role of the priesthood in that? I think, again— it would be there. I think the, I think the, you know, if you want to call them the orders of whether it's bishop, priest, deacon, I'd even say consecrated life, consecrated virginity, hermits. I think all these married people, I mean, all these different roles, I would think that there would be some way in which that's lived out, but especially those, the, the, um, you know, again, the baptized, uh, the confirmed, the ordained. But I don't, I don't have anything specific, uh, concrete in my mind, and I hadn't really thought about it as much until you, until you brought it out. But it's something to th- pray on, though. Well, I remember C.S. Lewis said, uh, in I don't know if it was um, uh, in his, um, uh, I don't know if it was Problem of Pain, uh, it may have been in that book where he reflects on heaven and how on earth we can come to associate pain with Christ's death on the cross. So there's a redemptive value mm-hmm. to it. And then he says, who knows if in heaven we'll also come to experience the mystery of suffering and ecstasy being linked together and that there'll be even deeper meanings to the idea of joining with Christ ecstatically and perfectly and joyfully in even deeper experiences of Divine suffering or, or in divine uh, heavenly suffering, uh, and I, you know, I'd never heard that before, and mm-hmm. it just was like, wow, that's a interesting speculation. Yeah, I I don't remember that from C.S. Lewis, whether where it was, or, or I didn't make note of that, but and that would be this. this is all the, the, do we, you know, we can associate and we can see the 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 value of suffering, redemptive suffering. You know, Colossians one or um, twenty four, these sort of things. But can you also say, okay, what about the joy? Uh, is there something in there, the sh- heavenly sharing in heaven, and do we value joy for that element of it as opposed to simply what it makes us feel like? Um, again, I just think there's probably blessings, and there's a, there's a flip side to that suffering, redemptive suffering, that somehow, um, again, to make use of heaven now. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I'm starting to think about it a little bit. So um, I don't even know if that's associated with what you just mentioned. But I do think that we're probably not not making all the use of our pain and suffering in life, certainly, but also the gifts, blessings, and joys that God gives us, both of them, which can be, I think, somehow used spiritually in a more in a better way than we do. Okay. 
Um, I mean, good answer. It's, uh, it's not something that, again, if, unless you have people making speculations and, and not just people, but, you know, uh, authors that you trust. Mm-hmm. And when they raise speculations, it's like, huh, maybe I should think about that too and see what, what shows up. Um, I, I consider that one beyond my pay grade. Right, so I just right. kind of, <laughs> I surrendered into the mystery of God's hands. Um, okay. Last question. So last, uh, last week, uh, on Monday, I, you know, I have this commitment, uh, to go to daily mass. And so on Mondays, I go to the 530 mass as, as my default setting at St. Mary's, Father Lewis's parish. And so I showed up with my daughter. We went down, uh, to mass and there was a sign on the door, you know, sorry, it's time for a wailing and grinding of teeth. You've been left out of the heavenly, uh, wedding banquet. Um, it didn't say that. What it said was, <laughs> Father Lewis won't be here, and uh, all the priests are on retreat this week, so Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, there will be no daily Mass. And I just went, what? What happened? <laughs> How did this happen? How did I not know this? I had happened, I was in, uh, I was not, uh, I did not go to St. Mary's the week before. I didn't hear that message. And so I was, um, I was like, oh, no. I missed mass. I missed receiving communion. I missed this daily commitment. And it, let me tell you, it gave me a deeper appreciation for the gift of the accessibility Mm -hmm. of the mass and of Holy communion because of the number of priests and parishes that we have and the number of times that mass are are offered every day in my easy driving range. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, that was, that was just one of those, do not take for granted the gift of priests, the priesthood, the Eucharist, or being able to access Mass. So, And I would say that's, that's proper sentiment for you, but also for priests. Don't take for granted the gift of the priesthood, the Mass, the daily Mass, uh, etc. What you just said is, goes also for priests um, in terms of, okay, do we also recognize just the blessings we have of that access to those mysteries. And then secondly, um, yes, especially we can complain about, oh no, there's not as many priests. Or, but compared to so many parts of the world, like in so many other things, we're rich and spoiled in, in America and, and we don't take advantage of what we have because we don't realize how good we have it. Yeah, amen. Uh, Father Nick, we have um, just 40 seconds left in the program. I'm going to give them to you. Uh, you can Any closing comment you'd like to make? I have a question for you. Have you ever thought oh. about the Camino? I have. Have you ever done I it? I have. I've never done it. I did make a kind of personal uh, pilgrimage journey in my uh, between my first and second year in Rome where they don't let you come home. And oh, yeah. so I was, I was on a backpack and a train, and I went across... Um, uh, northern Italy, across France, went to Lourdes, met up with a couple of guys. We went together to um, Santiago de Compostela uh-huh. and to Fatima. Um, but it wasn't all walking, but it right. was very much in the spirit of a pilgrimage. So that's the closest thing I've done. Okay. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, Father, that was a good filler of time. You yeah, just did. I just did it. <laughs> Turn the tables on you. (laughs) That was good. That's Father Nagel. This is Tom Curran. Thank you so much for listening to Sun Insight. Join me tomorrow. God bless.